Welcome to the Checkered to Green podcast with your hosts, David Maudie and Elliot Tardiff. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening in to the From Checkered to Green podcast. He is David Maudie. I am Elliot Tardiff. The disembodied voice is our good friend, producer Ryan Kolpak. Gentlemen, how are you? Well, sir, thank you. I'm doing very well, Elliot. A little chilly up here today, up in Syracuse, but looks like we're starting to warm up for next week so you know enjoying my working from home yeah similar situation here in buffalo bit of a gray and rainy day light mist coming down outside right now it's about 45 degrees it's only about supposed to peak at about 50 so you know standard you know transition from winter to spring day here well it's funny y'all should say that because um here in uh, the greater raleigh area raleigh north carolina uh, where i live we're going through our typical spring transition as well. And by that, I mean, it, it's basically 45, 50, 50, 50, and then it's 85, and then it gets warmer from there. Today, it is mostly sunny outside, 80 degrees, and uh, a gentle southwesterly breeze, and the trees haven't even budded yet. They're just now starting to. And it's, it's going to be nice and warm down here for the next couple of days, too. So, um, nice. Yep. So... I'll, it's it's nice to to be in the Carolinas in in March and April, especially if you don't have allergies. If if you do, this is not the place to be because uh, the uh, once all the uh, the pine trees and stuff start opening up, um, the pollen is so bad here it literally becomes a cloud. It becomes a, a ground haze. Yikes! Yeah. I, I, yeah, pollen definitely drives me nuts. And when I used to do the photo photography for the cars, for um, the auto dealership I worked up here for a year, that that was terrible. It was like a black car looked like yellow because yep. of all the pollen. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's, that's six hours down here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, very good. Well, uh, thank you, everybody, for... Uh, for joining in and listening in uh, to our inaugural uh, episode. So Dave, uh, why don't you tell everybody uh, what this podcast is and what we're all about? Thank you, Elliot. And again, welcome to all our listeners listening to the From Checker to Green podcast. I am David Maudie. And for Elliot and I, racing has been part of our lives going back to our respective childhoods. Watching these loud cars flying around racetracks, big and small. It was our version of the circus coming to town. Be it the local guys every weekend on tracks like Stafford, Lancaster, Oswego, or it was when the big shows came to Watkins Glen, Loudoun, or Lime Rock. Throughout all the different chapters, racing has been written in our lives. Good, bad, ugly, tragic. It has always been there and always will be. We are racing fans. We are a racing community. This podcast serves as a testimony to our ever-present love and fascination with racing, and we hope, when it, we hope it comes out in this podcast. We believe that the business aspects of racing, always a prime mover is in its progress, will be progressively more important to the evolution of most sports in the coming years. And so we attempt to shine a light on this particular facet of the sport and discuss what we may believe to be important issues facing some or all of the most sports community 
now and going forward. Just to set a couple ground rules for our podcast and tell you what it is and what it isn't. This podcast is meant to be fun and informative exercise for us, not a confrontational one. We're not going to get into racing politics here. We want to have fun. This is what guides our conversations together, how we interact on social media, and any interviews that we are fortunate to have with people that we would like to talk to. We will start our podcast with a segment called Checkered, where we discuss races that have occurred since our last episode. We cover who won or lost, what are any big news that has happened out of the world of motorsports. We'll then transition into whatever issue or subject we want to spotlight, business-related if possible, including special guest spots or interviews. We'll then route out our podcast with a segment called Green, where we'll talk about what major events or stories are upcoming in the next week or so. We have been preparing to record this podcast over the winter, and Ellie and I have actually talked about this for over a year now, this idea, and had some specific ideas that we wanted to discuss a little further including Rogers Penske's purchase of IMS and IndyCar. However, with recent events with the spread of the ensuing response to COVID-19, it has drastically changed our plan, and it has for the entire racing community. So we'll start with the truncated checker segment, as it was, and then discuss further. Elliot, you want to talk to us about a few of the NASCAR races that have happened this season? Yes, sir. And thank you very much, Dave, for the um, excellent uh, introduction to the uh, the podcast. So in terms of events that have happened thus far this year, uh, the only series that uh, really uh, got anything going was NASCAR. Um, and we're going to talk about this in much greater detail later, but uh, we don't have any events from IndyCar to talk about. We don't have any from Formula One. Uh, or IMSA. If, uh, actually, no, we do have uh, IMSA. Uh, from 24, the 24 hours, hours a day, Daytona. Daytona. And yep. NHRA, I think, got through um, Panoma. Very good. In terms of, of NASCAR, so we got four races of the season completed before the season was uh, suspended. So those were Daytona, Las Vegas, Fontana, and Phoenix. So Daytona was a very memorable race uh, for a couple of very specific reasons. And obviously the big one was the last lap crash with Ryan Newman. It was divine intervention and a miracle of physics that we weren't talking about another last lap fatality on a 500, um, hearkening back to Dale Earnhardt Sr. in 2001. But uh, thankfully, um, Ryan Newman is, uh, he was hospitalized briefly um, for what sounded like a, a head injury and was released and has been recovering, uh, made an appearance at the track at Phoenix in early March, less than a month after his accident. So that was very good news to see. The other big news that came out of Daytona was Denny Hamlin winning his third Daytona 500, and the second of, of uh, the second Daytona 500 that he has won in a photo finish. Uh, this one by very very little, um, I think only a few, a uh, couple of thousandths of a second over Ryan Blaney. And obviously, he did the same, too, in 2016 over Martin Truex Jr. I believe that was the closest Daytona 500 finish. So congrats to Hamlin on his third Daytona 500. The big news was Ryan Newman surviving and doing well in the wake of Daytona. Uh, since then, they went on their West Coast 
Swing, which is racing at Las Vegas, Fontana, California, and Phoenix, Arizona. The Penske team of Joey Logano did very well in those races, uh, winning two of them at Las Vegas and Phoenix, and Alex Bowman dominating and winning at Fontana for Hendrick Motorsports. So that is a synopsis of everything that happened um, with NASCAR to this point, or at least to the point of uh, on-track racing was red flagged uh, due to COVID-19. You know, NASCAR definitely being big, they got four races in. NHRA actually only got a couple races in. I know I said Pomona, um, but also they did get Arizona Nationals in at Wild Horse Pass Motorsports Park, and I can give you give you a quick rundown on a couple of those. It looks like from the Winter Nationals, it was Doug Coletto winning in top field, Jack Beckman funny car, Jay Coughlin in Pro Stock, which I know, I believe this is his final year running Pro Stock. Who knows if with everything going on with COVID-19, if that's eventually going to change. And then... There were no pro bikes running. That was, those were the three big uh, um, events going on there. The Arizona Nationals still was top field flying car and pro stock, but that was Steve Torrance, Tommy Johnson Jr., and Eric Enders in pro stock. Uh, Johnson Jr. wing funny car, Torrance wing, wing top field. So that was NHRA got a few events on. And then the World of Outlaws, late miles and sprints, did get a few events on, but are now postponed as well Or in regards to that. But they got down to Volusia before the Daytona 500. Florida's big right around Daytona. And they, you know, they, they have Volusia. They have probably about two weeks worth of modifieds, Northeast modifieds, the Super Dirt Car Series that runs in February before Daytona, the World of Outlaw Late Miles, and then the World of Outlaw Sprint Cars. So that action happened as well. So at least we did have some racing action going on, Elliot, before everything came to a screeching halt. Are you on mute? Yep. I, <laughs> I was talking for about 30 seconds to an audience of one. I'm sorry. Um, but uh, yeah, now the, um, yeah, those were a couple of big events there, Dave. And then there was also some other events going on over the winter as well that have been getting progressively more visibility vis-a-vis participation by some really big names in the motorsports community. I'm talking about the Chili Bowl and also the Snowball Derby. Uh, the Snowball Derby is a super late model race that runs at, um, I believe it's Volusia, uh, Volusia County Speedway in Florida. Uh, New Samaritan. Oh, no, flags. Oh, New Samaritan. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, it maybe maybe is another track. It's one of the tracks down Florida. I know New Samaritan always was trying to do something. Okay. But I um, don't know. I, it's, it, you may be right. It, it, it's not Felucia because that's dirt, but um, I think the first track you said was correct right after Felucia. But okay. yeah, I, I forgot the Chili Bowl was really, really big um, yep. this year. And Larson won it, right? It was, um, yep. 
Colton um, won the Chili Bowl this year. That was a very big deal for him because he has been uh, running in this particular event for a very, very long time. I forget exactly how long, but um, it's a very, very big deal for him to win this event. And he said as much afterwards, and it uh, created a little bit of controversy. I believe he equated how much or the, the magnitude of this win as it compared to the Daytona 500, which was upcoming in the following weeks. And so that kind of raised a few eyebrows, but it was important to remember the perspective and the context in which those comments were made in that he run this event for a very long time. I believe he's come close to winning it on more than a couple occasions, but uh, much like uh, the late Dale Earnhardt Sr. at Daytona, victory had eluded him for some time. And so this was a very big deal for him to finally have gotten over the hump and taken the checkered at this event. Most certainly. And now, since we've discussed the checkered segment, and we've talked about a few races here that have occurred, before we jump into it, we're going to throw it to our producer, Ryan Polpak, who has a few awards. From Checkered to Green Podcast, we'll be right back after a brief message from our sponsor. Are you looking for graphics design for your existing or up-and-coming business? Consider Samurai Graphics. From logo designs to business cars or all manner of other designs to make your business unique and stand out from your competitors, Samurai Graphics has the skills and the ideas you need. For more information, consider contacting Samurai Graphics at samuraigraphics716 at gmail.com. And now, back to From Checker to Green podcast with Elliot Tardiff and David Maudy. Thank you very much, Ryan. And with that, um, let's get into the main story, the spotlight of this week's episode, which has been the impacts from COVID-19 on the motorsports community and what it means for everybody going forward. There's so much to talk about across any number of different uh, types of racing, sanctioning by, et cetera, that uh, we've attempted to kind of break out specific impacts for different aspects of the, of the motorsports community. And we're going to get into each of them individually. We're going to talk first about uh, the impacts to NASCAR. As I said before, they got four races in. Um, so they, they were able to get a start to the season. And there were a lot of intriguing storylines that were developing in the first part of the season. Um, obviously, Logano winning a couple of races. Alex Bowman showing himself to be an early force to, uh, to contend with. Ross Chastain getting an opportunity to prove himself in very good equipment uh, while subbing for the recovering Ryan Newman. But all of that came to a screeching halt the weekend of March 14th. Actually, it was Friday the 13th, and that was the day that pretty much the entire motorsports community stood still. Earlier that week, many other sporting events had been uh, postponed or canceled, including the NCAA March Madness, the NBA season, you name it, it's been postponed or canceled in some form or fashion. So the NASCAR teams, they had gotten to Atlanta to conduct their race weekend, which was going to be without fans in attendance. And then after many teams had arrived, had found out that these, uh, the race had been postponed. And so those teams then turned around and went back to Charlotte. It was um, 
It was mentioned in an episode of the Door Bumper Clear podcast, um, which is an excellent podcast. Uh, it features um, some uh, big name spotters for uh, uh, cup cars, including TJ Majors, Brett Griffin, and Freddie Kraft. Griffin had heard from a truck series owner that told him that the just the act of traveling, getting the team traveling to Atlanta and back was $24,000 for his race team. And that was without a race and without an event with which to fulfill uh, contractual obligations and get paid. So from what it sounded like from his report, it could be inferred that uh, those teams essentially ate those costs with everything that's going on right now. Uh, these teams, you know, need to be as careful with their money as they can possibly be. Now, since then, uh, the governor of North Carolina, Governor Cooper, has issued a 30-day stay-at-home order, which takes effect Monday. What that means, among other things, is that all race shop activity in North Carolina, which happens to be where many NASCAR teams are based is closed. No activity at all will be allowed under the stay-at-home order. And that was in addition to um, some rules that NASCAR had set out after postponing through early May per CDC guidance, which was no testing, um, no in-shop testing, seven post-shaker rigs, um, uh, simulation work, iRacing not included, etc. So this has um, obviously been a, a very severe impact on the NASCAR season. They are trying to move forward with running all 36 events. Um, so they run 36 points paying events, 26 of which uh, compose or comprise which season with a, a 10 race playoff. So they're trying to run all 26 of those events prior to the beginning of the playoffs, which start at Darlington on September 6th with the Southern 500. So that is going to obviously be a, a lot of race weekends to, to put together in a very short period of time. And that's assuming that we're racing again in early May. And we're going to talk more about some other series that have postpone some of, of their events in May. So how that all plays together is, is going to be very intriguing to watch going forward. But in the meantime, the impacts to race teams itself are significant. There was, um, I saw on Twitter that a report from uh, a front stretch article written by Tom Bowles that Sam Hunt Racing, which is a part-time Xfinity team, had suspended operations entirely in light of uh, everything going on with COVID-19. Since then, Jenna Fryer tweeted this on March 27th, Jenna Fryer being the racing reporter for the association that NASCAR had a call with team owner one, and uh, quoting her tweet, it was expressed by some teams that few in the field can survive a shutdown of 90 or more days. So to provide some context um, to that comment and where everything is, assuming that we go back racing at Martinsville on May 9th, it would be about two months, um, a two month period between their last race at Phoenix and their next race at Martinsville. So that's assuming a contingency where we don't go racing again until early June. And obviously nobody has a crystal ball on where the impacts from COVID-19 dissipate and everything can go back to normal again. 
but that is where uh, everybody is in the uh, in the NASCAR world. Dave Ryan, um, be happy to hear your comments. So, Elliot, the uh, just a couple things. You said the twenty-four thousand dollars for each team for the travel to Atlanta. That's including all three series, correct? Uh, in theory, yes. And that was uh, something else that was um, that was discussed further on uh, the Door Bumper Clear podcast was that that was $24,000 for one team. And so you extrapolate that across all of the teams in the truck series, the Xfinity series, the Cup series that were all going to Atlanta to run away a race weekend. And it was theorized that just the travel expenses alone were about a million dollars across the entire racing community to get to Atlanta for a wow. race that didn't happen. Wow. That's that. And then you got to think about it, all the refunds that Atlanta has to give out. You yes. got to think about all the employees that were there that probably had to get at least some sort of compensation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what, what the financial numbers are going to be. The one big thing um, that's sticking in my mind is you're, you're mentioning about, about the 90 days. And now that's most teams. So I would probably say you're thinking the Gibbs, the Childress, possibly Stuart Haas, Penske, Ganassi, those teams are probably going to be okay, but you're probably looking at like maybe the Wood Brothers, Petty, Front Row, Motorsports, these smaller teams might have some issues. So if this goes any longer, do you think from a business aspect that we're going to see less than uh, 40 car counts? Well, uh, Dave, that's a great question. Um, and to be clear, the only race this year where they've had a full field of 40 cars was Daytona. Okay. Um, since then, they've had a 38-car field at each of the three West Coast races. But going forward, absolutely. That could definitely be a concern, especially for uh, some of these smaller and less funded uh, racing operations. Now, another thing to think about going forward is when we do get racing again, and assuming that we have a 2020 season that includes a playoff, um, Mm -hmm. now as a point of reference, the NHRA recently announcing some of their actions for the rest of 2020 canceled their playoff. They they normally have a playoff at the end of their season uh, to crown a champion. They canceled that this year. But assuming that NASCAR does, and assuming that we're going to run 26 events before the Southern 500 in September, that's going to be a tremendous burden on race teams. We're talking about multiple events per week. And I had seen somewhere, and um, it was even questioned in this um, uh, front stretch report from Tom Bowles on March 17th, that a smaller one-car effort like a go-fast racing, the 32 car uh, with Corey LaJoy at at, uh, the wheel, um, how some of these teams will be able to logistically make everything work with the constraints of uh, the number of employees they have and the budget that they they operate under. So that could very well be a thing uh, going forward. 
That, that's something we're going to have to definitely see and watch, especially, you know, from a financial standpoint for these teams. And over the next few days, see what maybe, or over the next few weeks, see what these teams are doing with the shops being closed. Are they furloughing their employees? Are they laying them off? You know, th- th- there's different ways you can save money, but it, it may not be the best way. So it's it's going to be very interesting to see what happens when we get this. And this may affect the next event, you know, a event happening in July that, you know, July 4th at Indy, you got the Xfinity guys, you got the Brickyard 400, the 4th and the 5th coming on for a um, racing weekend a double header with on July 4th with NASCAR and Indy and that's something that may be a saving grace down the road and we can most certainly get into that in the next segment when we talk about IndyCar. Uh, thought about uh, the season and when we do finally get back going again. I was watching a panel on CNBC earlier this week, they had a number of different people talking. One of those was uh, Mark Cuban, who is the owner of the Dallas Mavericks NBA team. Uh, He's been particularly visible um, throughout this entire uh, crisis in terms of how businesses um, should treat employees and uh, the best ways to, um, to kind of weather this whole thing. And one of the very interesting point that he made on this panel was the fact that when the NBA season gets going again, he is prepared for them to play the first games after the restart of the season without fans. So that's an interesting thing to think about in terms of um, the racing season and the NASCAR season when NASCAR finally gets going again, if they do the same as well. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's definitely big. And I don't, you know, touch base on that. Something that just came across my mind. Um, I don't know if you've heard this about the MLB. They agreed to a deal, like when the season starts and everything. But I heard something that about the players are going to get so much money the next couple months. It's uh, in regards to that. So you wonder if MLB's doing this and they're a, um, you know, where they may extend their season to Thanksgiving. You know, they they reached an agreement that's talked about that they're willing to do that, which, you know, last time they went past October into, you know, getting close to November was 9-11, but I believe that they, you know, I believe I've heard, I saw it briefly today, that it's not like they had some plans to pay the players, so, you know, maybe, maybe the NASCAR, these racing organizations do take a point to do something eventually regarding that. It's a possibility, um, and it's one that um, Steve Phelps, uh, the president of NASCAR, recently addressed in a, uh, a conference call on March 17th, or as a teleconference with reporters. And while he didn't have any specifics at that point, they were concerned about teams broadly and their financial health. Um, so, and they want to make sure that each of their teams uh, get through this. So... And he mentioned there were lots of things on the table. So what exactly he was talking about and what, if anything, they have done since then, that is a very good question. But obviously NASCAR 
uh, far from the only um, series and the only sanctioning body impacted by the, the response to COVID-19. Another one of, the, one of them, including uh, some very famous events, is IndyCar. And Dave, you've been keeping up very closely on that. And so tell us what, um, uh, what IndyCar's response to uh, COVID-19 is, uh, these their schedule and, and uh, how they're doing during this time. Well, most certainly. Well, IndyCar, I, it's amazing. So much has come out from when we, you and I were starting to talk about this, Elliot, and, you know, from them canceling St. Petersburg, the IndyCar has canceled their first four events, and that was St. Petersburg, that was the Grand Prix of Long Beach, that was CODA, Circuit of Americas, and then the Grand Prix of Alabama down at Skip Barber Racing Course. And it's, it's interesting because when you and I, you, Ryan, and I have talked at the point all four of those events were canceled in the Indy 500 and the Grand Prix of Indy were up in the air. And Roger Penske taking over IMS, taking over IndyCar, probably has led them very effectively. And it's going to be very interesting to see what comes out. And we just got the other day some really interesting news that it's amazing. So before I get into the interesting news, I just want to give a couple brief recap for any of our listeners in case you were going to any of these events in IndyCar. Grand Prix of Long Beach did cancel. They they are offering a refund. They just don't feel like where they are in California, the situation they've assessed, and you can have one of two options. You can get a refund by like April 30th, 2020, or knowing that they'll be around, they're going to be running next year, and they will, I think financially, they're going to do fine in the next few years, and this is a great option. Any ticket holder can get a credit. It will be the same price for the 2021 event. It comes with a protection plan that you will not get a ticket increase. So if you paid $100 and you took this, it will be a $100 credit, even if the seats go to like 125, for example. Not exact numbers, but just an estimate. But then you have an option to go to the 2020 event as well. And purchase that same ticket at the same price you paid for this year. So that's really big. And I think that's going to be big for the Grand Prix of Long Beach because when they run next year, when this situation's all over with and we're back to normal, it's going to be really, really big for the Grand Prix of Long Beach. That's a big event. They got a lot of people there and they're going to need the help. And I think that's I think that's a really great initiative they're doing to get their fans back into the sport. And that's something that you're, you're starting to see with a lot of tracks. Now, Barber did cancel. They're not going to allow you credits. They just decided we're just going to give a refund. And that's everything there. That was your general admission, your garage pass, your drive, the ride, your ride package any hospitality, camping, any parking, that's just a, a full-out refund. And that, I think, is a little different situation. You know, Long Beach, it's a street course. It takes a lot of money to set up. So you got to get that money. you got to 
you know, you gotta find a way to get that. Barber is a road course. So, and, and they do other things down there. I, I know the, I believe the Skip Barber Driving School's down there. So they, they I, I don't think they're worried about financially. Now, CODA, on the other hand, has laid off workers. And that's going to be an interesting situation because CODA is also supposed to have Formula One this year in November. And they canceled IndyCar. So you really can't run IndyCar and Formula One at the same time just because of the pit setups for Formula One is very different to IndyCar. So Coda's approach was full refund as well. And I just don't know how that's going to affect them with all the layoffs. So I think they're trying to save money. And that may be in case Formula One backs out, you know, and we'll see what happens with that. So that's that's a situation we're going to have to watch for sure. The other event is St. Petersburg. And I have some interesting news on that. Originally, that was canceled. It looks like that may be possibly coming back for a year end. And here's why. So Roger Penske, IMS, he owns IMS, he owns IndyCar. And I think him, Mark Miles, Doug Bowles have really taken charge of the situation and have figured things out. The other day, really big news. And Elliot, I think it blew, blew your mind. It blew my mind. It was like, wow, this was left field. We weren't expecting this. Penske figured the month of May we were going to have issues. You know, what happens if this goes on beyond May? The Indy 500, the Grand Prix of Indy is in danger. So what they did, and this is really good, this is Penske listening to fans who thought, you know, it'd be cool to get a NASCAR double, NASCAR IndyCar double header. Now that Penske owns IndyCar and IMS and has a NASCAR team. Great news. The Grand Prix rescheduled to July 4th. Why July 4th? What's big? Well, NASCAR is taking over the Brickyard with the Brickyard 400 that weekend on July 5th. On July 4th, it's the Xfinity guys. And the Xfinity series was originally going to run the two and a half mile. About February, an announcement came out and said they're going to run the road course. This is big. Now you got your IndyCar NASCAR doubleheader. I saw comments online on Facebook that some people think that this may actually help save NASCAR at the Brickyard. They've been struggling in attendance and IndyCar, the Indy 500 has got, has generated a lot. This might be really big and they run the USAC sprint car. I believe it's the sprint cars run the BC 39, the Brian Clausen 39 on the turn three dirt track. It was posed out to Tony Stewart, who said, I'm going to run the Xfinity series. Someone asked, is Tony Stewart going to run the all four events? And Stewart said to Bowles, if you can get me four good cars, I will do this. So this is going to be very, very big if this happens, uh, especially in IndyCar. With that said, what happened to the Indy 500? Well, the Indy 500 got postponed to August 23rd. How they're going to do this, so th this is the first time in about, first time since 1986 
that the Indy 500 has not ran in May. Um, in 1986, it was moved to the Saturday in June. Um, the first Saturday in June, they moved Milwaukee back because of rain. And they wanted to just keep the Indy cars there. So what happens is Indy 500 is now going to be in June. It is going to be on August 23rd. And what they're going to do is they're going to have practice sessions August 12th and 13th, Fast Fridays on the 14th. Qualifications are going to be on August 15th and 16th. TV schedule should be coming out soon. NBC's going to have a lot more coverage from what I've heard. Then August 20th, it will be a hot pit stop practice sessions with Indy Lights practice. The Indy Lights Freedom 100, the Pit Stop Challenge, and Carb Day will be August 21st. And on August 22nd, Legends Day with the 500 on the 23rd. T your tickets are only good for those events. So if you got a ticket to the Indy 500, you cannot use it to the Brickyard 400. People have asked about that. People ask, hey, I got Grand Prix ticket. I got the Grand Prix tickets for July 4th now. Can I go to the Xfinity race? They said, no, you actually have to purchase a separate ticket. It's just how indie ticketing works. You see this with Major League Baseball with double headers when they reschedule that your ticket's good for this game, the first game. If you want to go to the second, you have to buy one. So that's pretty, that, that, that's really good. With that said, Roger Penske's event, the Detroit Grand Prix, is now um, going to be the first doubleheader. It's a doubleheader, May 30th and 31st. What they did is to accommodate this, they did switch around the schedule because Indy's August 23rd and the changes for the Indy Grand Prix. Mid-Ohio, Gateway have changed, and St. Petersburg is back on. So Mid-Ohio is going to move their dates, and I can tell you the revised schedule right now here. So what will happen is Detroit is 30th and 31st, Texas is the 6th, Road America the June 21st, Richmond June 27th, Road Course at Indy is the 4th of July, Toronto is now the 12th, Iowa is the 18th of July, Mid-Ohio moves to the 9th, because of Indy qualifying and the Indy 500 now in August. Gateway goes to Sunday, May 30th. Not a night race anymore. It'll be during the day from a Saturday to a Sunday. Portland is the 13th. WeatherTech Laguna Seca is the 20th. And now St. Petersburg looks to be the end. So that's going to be very, very big right now with that. So from a financial standpoint, I think IndyCar might do very well. They haven't spent any money, I mean, with traveling for St. Petersburg, but I think Roger Penske is going to get them through this very well, and that sale was really, really big. Elliot, Orion, any thoughts? Um, well, obviously, a lot of um, many sanctioning bodies, a lot of moving parts and pieces and trying to piece together a, a schedule and a delayed schedule for later on in the year, but the fact that uh, the Indy 500 was moved, and it was moved as extensively on the schedule that it was, is uh, truly unprecedented in modern times. Um, obviously, during uh, World War II, uh, they did not run the 500 at all. So, And, and the track went to shambles. It did. Um, it was a, a great effort to uh, resurrect the Speedway and, and uh, get it in race-worthy condition again. But 
the fact that it was moved far on in the season as it was um, is, uh, is truly unprecedented. But as you laid out in a very complete detail, the Speedway, uh, Indy, uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway in particular, uh, is doing their, their very best to try and make the best of the situation. And assuming that racing is, is back on, especially by early summer, incorporating IndyCar and NASCAR in the same race weekend together at the same place is another very, very, it will be a very cool event. And it's certainly generating a lot of interest, it's generating a lot of interest in social media, and it's uh, turned a lot of people's heads around. So you were talking about, um, you know, if somebody decided to try and, and run all four events um, in that same weekend. And yes, you had uh, noted that uh, uh, Tony Stewart was, uh, was prompted on that question. He said, you know, give me some good rides and, and I'll make it happen. So we know that he's already in for the Xfinity event. And so it would be interesting if um, he could get somebody to jump in uh, with him on the, the IndyCar side. And it, the, that'd be, it, it may be Foyt, just, just, just a hunch. That would be a huge story if that were to happen. Um, obviously, Tony Stewart has held A.J. Foyt in very high regard for a long time and considers him uh, his, one of his all-time racing heroes. And so if those, those two were to uh, uh, get together uh, in an owner-driver uh, capacity, that would be a, a huge, huge storyline for that race weekend, absolutely. So that's the, a synopsis of everything that's going on with uh, within car right now. Uh, we are going to turn it over to uh, Ryan Kolpak for a commercial break. This is from Checker to Green. If you enjoy the podcast and you want to get more information regarding the business side of the racing world, check out our Facebook page at From Checker to Green Podcast. Check out articles, engage in discussion, and learn more about the money that makes the racing world turn. And now, back to From Checker to Green Podcast. Thank you very much, Ryan. Now, looking at other series that have been uh, impacted by the ongoing events in response to COVID-19, Formula One, another uh, major series that uh, has had to do some pretty big shifts to their schedule and also got themselves in a little bit of controversy uh, during what was supposed to be their first race weekend of the year in Australia. Dave has been doing a lot of research on that and is here to tell us a lot more. So Dave, the floor is yours. Thank you, Elliot. I most certainly mentioned about the controversy happening, happening in Australia with Formula One. Formula One, just like IndyCar, has not started their season. They were about to and they're on postponement for a while. And what happened, just to recap what happened in Australia a few weeks ago, was that with, with the Australian Grand Prix, that's always the first race of the year in the Formula One season. This year it was scheduled for around March 15th. And what had happened is the teams got down there, all the equipment was down there, and Australia uh, was doing checks on everyone coming in, and there were some Haas members from the Haas Racing Team and McLaren were told to quarantine. Well, they did test, 
and the McLaren members, uh, one, a couple of the McLaren team members tested positive for the COVID-19, the coronavirus, which sent everything in a tizzy. Formula One didn't know what to do. Uh, they, were, they were trying to figure things out. They first said, we'll race without fans. And Lewis Hamilton, who is the modern day Michael Schumacher of the series, the, the leader essentially, came out and criticized them saying cash is king. And that prompted Formula One to say, maybe that's not a good idea. Maybe we should stop because at the same time, McLaren said, we've got to pull out, which means you're down one less team. You're down to nine teams running for championship points, and that would hurt McLaren's season. So they decided... Um, FIA Formula One came out and said, we're done. We're, we're going to hold off for now. So they postponed Australia. And with that said, that started a series of postponements. The Chinese Grand Prix was already before, weeks before Australia started, was announced that they were going to um, cancel theirs. Bahrain was thinking about running behind, running events without fans. They eventually got canceled or postponed in the Vietnamese Grand Prix. Those races were canceled. And then it came out the other day that the Monaco Grand Prix ended up getting canceled. Now, this isn't postponed. It is fully canceled for 2020. And Monaco is a small area, and this uh, this was um, in in result of um, also the announcements of the Dutch Grand Prix, which was finally back on the schedule after a hiatus. They haven't ran in the Netherlands for a while. They brought that back. That got postponed. Spain got postponed. And Monaco is officially canceled. And that's because the um, prince there, I believe, and I don't know if this is, this is true of it, if this drove the decision, but he tested positive for COVID-19, the coronavirus. So uh, essentially on racer.com, when they announced Monaco, which is the biggest race on the Formula One calendar. I mean, it's part of the triple header of auto racing on Memorial Day weekend, Monaco, Indy, and Charlotte, the Coke 600. What they said is, you know, they, and this is what went behind it. They looked at the current situation, looking at this on racer.com, and they talked with Monaco. And here's the, the thing. They would have more than 1,500 volunteers. And this is, it's such a small area where Monaco is. So it's very tight quarters. So what they said, and they were sad to, to come to this decision, but the Automobile Club of Monaco board directors did say that they're just canceling it. Um, they just, they, they canceling the 70th Grand Prix of Monaco and they were doing it for, um, safety. And they said, this is shocking. And this is the first time that there hasn't been a Grand Prix in Monaco when we get going since 1954. So almost, um, 64 years, if I'm correct. I think 66 so. Six years. Sorry. Yep. And Dave, you talk about um, you know the 
the impacts of, of not having a, uh, a Grand Prix at Monaco this year in terms of financial impacts to give you an idea of what that means for uh, the Principality of Monaco, a 2017, uh, excuse me, 2018 uh, press release uh, from the government of uh, the Principality of Monaco detailed a 90 million euro economic benefit for the Principality as a result of the 2017 Formula One Grand Prix of Monaco. So, you know, assuming one-to-one numbers since then, uh, that's that's uh, 90 million euro roughly translates to, I think, about 100 million dollars, U.S. dollars, that will not be uh, forthcoming to uh, Principality this year. So that's a, a very big uh, economic impact for them. Oh, yeah, and most certainly. And now that show, now with that being canceled, I mean, you also have to think about the economic impact on the teams that, you know, they use DHL to ship these ship their cars, ship the pit boxes. I mean, those pit boxes you see fold up, all the team stuff gets all compacted and no shit. The Formula One cars that they bring, they break them down. They put them in different boxes. So you have to think, they sent all that to Australia, had that all set up, and then had reship it back So without even being used. And so the, the cost there is... Um, I haven't seen any numbers out of Australia. It's something I, you know, they kind of were questioning who's going to foot the bill for this a, a while ago, but it sounds like the Australia may run again. It sounds like they went canceled and just like St. Petersburg here in IndyCar, um, they, they've switched to more of let's postpone it, see what happens, which they think, you know, they, they could get. Um, but now this makes the Canadian Grand Prix the first race of the year. And depending where we are in June, in the situation here in in North America with with COVID-19, I don't know. I I begin to wonder if that's in question. Um, I haven't heard anything yet. I haven't seen anything yet. But if that ends up canceling or postponing, you you have a really big timetable against. And that's, um, Formula One was quick to make a couple of decisions. Normally they have the summer off. It's, um, they race in June and then I believe they take a couple months off. You have July, August off, and then they kind of resume near the end of August. So Formula One said, this is our break now. And what they're prepared to do, what they did is they said they would hold off on the 2021 regulations so that's going to delay the um, introduction of the technical rules. But some of the things they, they did was they're comfortable doing a 15 to 18 race schedule now. Um, that's something Formula One's looking into. But they hopefully once they get this, they'll look into it. And they're set to go past November, which, which is fine. If they had to figure out some of the testing, I'm sure they would be able to do that. Some of the off-season testing, they probably could condense down. They're spread out enough that they could still salvage their season and, and make some money off of this. But they are concerned about money. A they are, of- and, and they're also concerned too, Dave, about – um, at least some within um, the Formula One camp about even whether or not it's uh, safe and appropriate to have a 2020 season at all. 
there's a uh, an article from planetf1.com dated March 28th in which they were interviewing former Formula One boss Bernie Ecclestone, who would said that he would be very surprised if they managed to achieve a schedule of 15 to 18 races in 2020, as uh, Chase Carey has indicated that he would like to do. So there's that. Uh, there's also another interesting aspect, uh, just to bring it back to Australia for a second. Um, we're talking about you know different impacts on um, on teams and shipping and things. Uh, there's also an impact of what looks like a pretty significant economic impact for the tire provider Pirelli. Oh yeah, so, I heard about this. Yep. So there is a um, an article from uh, Autosport, Adam Cooper, mm-hmm. um, dated March fifteenth, uh, that talked about that Pirelli was going to have to scrap a large number of tires after the Australian Grand Prix was canceled. They had mounted a number of, uh, of tires, and, and I guess the way it works for them is that once those tires are mounted and you have to unmount them, and they're no longer usable um, because of potential damage to the tire. And obviously with the speeds and loads that those tires carry, that's just a, a chance. So those tires are now going to be used as fuel for a cement factory. Oh, wow. um, now, obviously, when they're in racing in Europe, it's not as big of a deal. But when you're having to ship, you know, all these different pieces halfway across the world, it obviously creates some bigger issues. So, be, um, so no word on on how much of an impact that would be. But um, obviously, you know, tires for F1 in particular are not cheap. So when you have to scrap that many, um, that's probably a, a pretty big economic hit as well. Well, certainly. You mentioned something about Ecclestone, and this is from Chris Medlin on Racer.com on March 26th. And he said that the chairman of the Motorsport of UK, David Richards, is urging Liberty Media to help the smaller F1 team survive. I guess with Ecclestone, when they ran in tough times, he made sure, according to the article, he made sure that the smaller teams were looked down on, and they're hoping that that happens. So maybe Mercedes, Ferrari, Renault, maybe could help like these Williams, Racing Point, Haas, you know, these smaller teams. So when they get going, they're, they're there. But it's, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And, you know, I I actually was talking to my aunt about this and she says, you know, she had a great idea. You know, you think about these athletes who make millions of dollars, that they should donate their salary to, you know, help these communities out. These racing teams make a lot of money in F1. So maybe it'd be something good and, you know, and maybe they'll, they'll be able to survive through this. But one other point and a feel-good story, the F1 teams are starting to evaluate ventilator production, Chris Medlin reported on Racer.com, to address the coronavirus shortage. So we may be seeing worldwide F1 teams getting into that, which will help them with some money. And with that said, um, Elliot, F1's not the only one affected about Le Mans. Uh Yep, Le Mans, uh, IMSA, um, a lot of the uh, the road racing series that uh, a lot of the famous road racing events um, have been impacted as well. Now they were able to run the 24 hours of Daytona, which usually kicks off the uh, start of speed weeks in Daytona in January and February. Did um, Wayne Taylor Racing win that? 
think so. But in the interim, uh, there were some other big events that were postponed at this point. Uh, the first of which, obviously, was uh, Le Mans, uh, the 24 Hours of Le Mans. That was supposed to run in June, okay, the 13th and 14th of June. They have postponed that now to the 19th and 20th of September. So there's that. You know, obviously, that speaks to concern about how much longer the needed measures are to contain this disease and how much longer those can go. There's also the 12 Hours of Sebring. That was supposed to run. It was supposed to run um, last weekend, and um, they um, they postponed it okay. to I think it's November. Yes, um, November fourteenth, and they also have delayed the Pettit Le Mans, uh, which is supposed to, which is supposed to be at Road Atlanta. Uh, that one has now been moved to October, I believe. Um, yeah, I believe, I think that's October that they, they have. Some of those big races have been moved to months down the road just to get going with that, to make sure that some of these bigger races do happen. I mean, it's like the Masters. Um, yeah. That That's, you know, they postpone that. That sounds like they're going to do it in September, which we're not, you know, we're a racing podcast, but you got to think who's going to cover TV coverage of that with, 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 um, with football. So that will be interesting to see how the TV contract works out for that. But yeah, most, I mean, most certainly, I mean, there's, there's a lot of big races and who knows if Le Mans will, will even go in September. Well, it sounds like they're they're ready to go for it. And as far as IMSA's uh, next event, according to Nate Ryan at NBC Sports via uh, Yahoo, uh, the next event on IMSA's calendar is the event at Belle Isle Raceway at the end of May, which um, which is part of the double header for IndyCar. Yep. So obviously a very big event for them. So we'll see what happens with that. There was also a race scheduled at the beginning of May at Mid-Ohio, and yes. that event has also been postponed to a date to be determined later on no. in 2020. Actually, Marshall Pruitt on racer.com, I do have that date for you. Go ahead. Um, Mid-Ohio is September 25th through 27th. So now this is how it, if, how postponing Le Mans affects IMSA. Because Le Mans moved to September 19th and 20th, and you have a lot of these drivers who go over to Le Mans and race. Yep. They moved the uh, Laguna Seca forward one week to the 4th and 6th, which clears a path for them to get out to uh, France then. And Petit Le Mans, October 14th to the 17th as well. Excellent. And it was Wayne Taylor Racing who, who won the 24 Hours of Daytona. Yep. Uh, with uh, Ryan Briscoe, Scott Dixon, uh, Kami Kobayashi, and Renger van der Zand in the, um, the number 10 Cadillac. Dragon Racing won the um, Dragon Speed USA, won the LMP2 category. BMW Team RLL won the GTLM. And uh, Miller Racing won the GTD category. Has there, have you seen anything yet about the, because the, the next big event for, because you have these big races for IMSA, I mean, 24 Hours, Daytona, Sebring, the Petit Le Mans, 
But then on top of it, you get the sale in six hour at, at the Glen, which is Watkins Glen, which is scheduled for around July 4th weekend. I haven't seen, it, it sounds like it's still on, but I haven't heard any discussion yet. I mean, if Belle Isle gets moved back or something, you know, that would then eventually become the first event. That very well could be. Um, and there's uh, no news about moving that particular weekend or postponing it or anything. So it looks like that one is still on for June 25th to the 28th of 2020. Well, that's good. That, that'd be good. That'd be nice, especially up here in New York, if they can get that going. I, I definitely, you know, IMSA, you know, they've gotten a few races in, so I don't know how much effects that they're going to have, but they didn't lay off any staff. They actually, um, all their staff, they actually told them they're going to do a work from home option for them. So I, I, I think they, they probably can survive through this. I think the race teams can survive because they're, you know, that's a concern. You think about with NASCAR, we were talking about NASCAR and you know, 90 days, you know, I, I think the cost for IMSA, I, I think for a sports car, yeah, the costs are probably a little bit higher because of the types of cars you're dealing with. You know, you got multiple drivers, but you have to think if one driver can't do it, they're always going to get somebody in. But I'm pulling up the article and, and they said that all their office space employees are work at home for an indefinite period of time. So I, I think and I think what we're seeing here with no matter what organization we have, Elliot, we're talking about on today's podcast, they're all handling it a different way and they're all assessing, I mean, when you go into this, you got to have a BCP, a business continuity plan, or business continuous plan. And I think a lot of these organizations had to start scrambling because, you know, you postpone the race because of weather, you can get it going. I don't think they've had a situation like this before. Yeah, they haven't. Uh, nobody has, really. And to that end, I kind of want to pivot um, just for a second. I was reading, uh, so there was an article that just came out from Jenna, Jenna Fryer, the Associated Press. I was talking with, with Roger Penske uh, mm -hmm. with regards to, you were talking about Belle Isle before. Yeah, because um, he owns that event. Yes, sir. And he said that date um, can be adjusted if needed. They can run that, they could run that event uh, later on in the year. And he was also talking about uh, at the end of October, there being some open dates to where they could maybe uh, make St. Petersburg work. So He's, there was, he, I mean, that, that'll be, I mean, that'll be interesting to see what they do, but you have to remember Belle Isle's up in Detroit. So you can only oh, go so, so late in the year. Go before so far, a, yeah. Unless you're going to put windshield wipers on the Indy cars and um, snow tires. Yeah, I was going to say maybe some snow tires. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Power, power slide through um, uh, one of those turns at Bell Isle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so we'll see what happens there. But, uh, but yeah, um, so there, those were, were a couple of notes there worth uh, bringing up. We have a lot more to talk about. We've got discussions about... Uh, what the motorsports community has done and what what they're trying to do to keep uh, public attention to racing 
in some form or fashion. And also our discussion about uh, what races that have occurred in the past that um, we would recommend pulling up and having a look at while we're waiting for cars to hit the track again. It's uh, our classic race picks as well as sim racing. Uh, All of that coming up right after this break. We'll be right back to the Checkered to Green podcast after a brief message. Your feedback helps drive the podcast as far as control and content. If you have any recommendations regarding topics to be discussed, races that you enjoyed, or perhaps even guests that you'd like to see on our podcast, give us some information and feedback at our web at our email at ckrd2grn at gmail.com or leave us a message on our Facebook page. Thanks and keep your feedback coming. And now back to From Checker to Green with David Maudy and Elliot Tardiff. Thank you, Ryan. So there's been a lot of uh, activity going on within the motorsports community, even though nary a lap has been turned in any series really in recent weeks. Most of that activity has now shifted into the virtual realm to uh, sim racing specifically. So there's a number of different racing simulations out there. Uh, the most popular of which right now is iRacing. And that series has um, gained almost immediate attention within the stock car world after the NASCAR race weekend was canceled or postponed, excuse me, at Atlanta. Almost right away, different people were talking about trying to get a um, sim racing series of some type put together and to get all these different people involved within the motorsports community. And that has blossomed very quickly from just uh, an idea and getting some people together and having a race to something much, much more involved now. And this is true not only in NASCAR, but also in IndyCar as well. So the very first event that happened was an event, I believe it was, um, it wasn't, I don't, I don't think it was Atlanta. I think it was another event after that. It was Homestead. 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 Actually, yep. they beat, um, actually, NASCAR got beat out the day before. Um, really? Yeah. Well, with dinner with, so the dinner with racers podcast, I don't know if you, if you guys have listened to this, I, I love listening to this because they, they have dinner with people in auto racing, like Rick Mears and all this. And when it's um, Brian Evers, Eversley, who drives in IMSA and Sean Hickman, who's a PR guy for IMSA, Things one of the teams, and when Sebring got canceled, they decided to do something called the 12 Hours of Sebring, but instead of Super Sebring, they called it, don't want to offend anybody, but Pooper Sebring. <laughs> and and um, they did that the, the, day, the day Sebring was, and they did a full 12 hours, and they were talking with different racers, They and it wasn't just racers running. It was different um, it was fans, and they just got fans on, and they said they were going to do a prize. I guess, um, I guess Jeff Bodine's got a um, stockpile of um, NASCAR Sing CDs, and I think they took some from home, and they were going to give out that as a best award. So, um, and I think they're going. It sounds like they're going to do for their Facebook page a weekly series with that. So you got fans getting involved as well. That's really cool. 
Yeah, I know they're, um, you know, in, in NASCAR's case, they're, um, they're doing, I think they're, it's kind of an open-ended uh, series with the um, Invitational uh, that mm-hmm. they're doing. It's um, like all NASCAR drivers from yes. all the series. Yep. Retired to Bobby Labonte. Yep. Um, he was there. Uh, Trevor Bain at Texas made an appearance. And Greg Biffle as well. He uh, June Bug. Yep, Dale Earnhardt Jr. He's he's been uh, a very famous uh, sim racer as well, and uh, so he's been involved in uh, in both of these events. Nearly won the first one at Homestead. Was also uh, in the uh, the event at Texas as well. But um, current and former drivers um, all making an appearance. In the case of IndyCar, Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they they're planning on a six race limited series. Uh, they just had their first one uh, the other day at Watkins Glen, and yeah. uh, Jimmy Johnson uh, crossed over from NASCAR to IndyCar uh, to make a run at uh, at Watkins Glen with uh, all of the IndyCar guys. Yeah, I, I, he, he did. I watched it. He um wiped out in the bus stop yesterday. He just lost it, and that kind of did his day. But he was doing well. He was, and he was like three laps down, but he was like. In the top 10, I believe. Uh, Sage Karam won it. I guess he runs all the time. And James Hinchcliffe was supposed to, but he couldn't get set up. Something, it kicked him out. And he'll be there for next week for Barber, from what I heard. And then um, same with Robert Wickens. He just couldn't get set up in time. It yep. sounds like some other drivers are going to get set up, like Dixon, I thought. They had Lee Diffie, Paul Tracy, Townsend Bell call it, um, which was really cool. But they're doing um, a six-race series. Uh, it sounds like Barber next week, and then it may be a driver vote, and then another one determined that maybe a van or driver vote for the six one with a non-IndyCar track, so a lot of good ideas being floated out there. Someone else doing it, the World of Outlaws. Is that um, right? Yeah, they did last week, Wednesday, they did Volusia, and they had... Um, if I'm right here, I'm looking at this right now. I think they had 40 drivers. Wow. Um, but names like Christopher Bell, David Gravel, Kerry Madsen, Carson Macedo, Logan Schuhart, Logan Seavey won it, Cruz Pedragon. Um, no kidding. Yeah. Actually, his sons, one of his sons races. Uh, races with the world of outlaws so they he's gotten involved in it ron caps chase briscoe um let's see some of the other ones uh kevin swindell danny dietrich i mean these guys are just you know regulars who run and they're actually running tonight and tomorrow with charlotte um, I don't know if the late miles did that. I wonder if the World of Outlaw late miles did that. I'm checking now. They may have ran. They may be getting into it as well. Now, it looks like it's the sprint car guys doing it. So they may be eventually doing it. Um, iRacing has started doing dirt tracks as well. I know they did Knoxville, uh, Eldora. I think Weedsport up here is supposed to get into that 
they were like one of the finalists that they were looking at to do tracks. So you just don't have asphalt. You have dirt. The only thing I don't see is drag racing. You think they're ever going to do that, Elliot? I think eventually they will. They're definitely advancing the technology, uh, the sim racing technology. I mean, you know, with, with iRacing, you know, when you have, uh, it's almost like the X Games series yeah. now um, that they're they're bringing in you know, uh, uh, running on dirt, jumping over hoop, you know, or, uh, um, uh, hills and stuff like that. So they have that technology there. It wouldn't put it past me to see them try and do something like the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. Oh, that would be, that would be awesome to see them do that. That would be incredible. And, and, and you know, I, I, you know, I'm thinking about it, you know, what, what helps with this sim racing is, you know, we've had all the sports season, essentially all the sports come to halt nhl nba major league baseball major league soccer we don't know what the nfl is going to do you know they've all the practice facilities are closed so they're mm-hmm. telling them if you have a gym at home you gotta work you gotta do your workout from home you know if you're gonna want to keep fit you think about the sim racing and this gives an advantage when we get back into auto racing and this might help out with the business side of it yep you're not going to need testing these guys are on there testing they're getting the kits to do wheels from and and paul tracy said this you could get one from a box store for like 100 200 yep there's guys getting the there's guys ordering kits that are like a thousand dollars the f1 simulators the ones like Toyota, Chevy racing simulators I have are like 60, I thought, he, I thought I heard him say like millions of dollars. That so, wouldn't be a surprise, yeah, um, because it's it's worth noting that like in the case of when NASCAR said, okay, we're not going to allow any testing of any kind, they went out of their way to specify a difference between iRacing and simulator, uh, simulation work. So it definitely sounds like there's something much, much more involved that the manufacturers have access to um, or, or have built out the technology of. Yeah. So I, I could definitely see that. In terms of iRacing sim rigs and sim setups, uh, there's some people that are definitely setting the bar in terms of how extensive a setup you can get. Denny Hamlin comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy Johnson is another one that uh, oh. has a, a a pretty crazy setup, his, and then you've also got. His, go ahead. His is uh, sorry, let me interrupt. But his is more Johnson's is more set up for IndyCar because he because that's what he's. Um, I, 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 I mean, we all know he's retiring. He's not retiring from racing completely. He's retiring from NASCAR at, at the end of the season. And what he said, uh, I watched the Homestead iRacing event, and he said, he goes, I'm thinking of wanting to do a sports car or IndyCar events next year. So he's getting him set to do his setups like that. Um, But if you look like Clint Boyer, he just has a wheel on a desk. Um, and there's some some people that have um, have some really humble setups that do really really well. Timmy Hill comes to mind, um, who actually won the event at Texas, uh, the NASCAR mm-hmm. Pro Invitational Series event at Texas. Um, also, Ty Majeski 
uh, who is a had a legendary sim racing career, runs a, a very humble setup as well. And um, trying to think of some others, but um, but yeah, um, you know, a lot of people that have very good records sim racing uh, have pretty humble setups that work great for them and they've accomplished a lot uh with that Um, certainly but but sim racing's not the only thing going on i don't know if you've seen this i i've seen on facebook but i i've been doing this for a while because i i'm a sucker for the historical racing and and that's just because my grandfather my, my grandpa maudie um used to tell me about stories of going to Williams Grove in the 40s and the 50s and watching guys run, you know, doing it in a day and driving back. And I'm a sucker for classic races, that the historical of auto racing. And I love it. I, I love it, love it, love it. And I think it's, he always says that's been some of the great racing. So how about we talk about some classic races? Let's do it. So YouTube is great. A lot of the Facebook groups on, on Facebook, um, the Oswego Speedway group I'm on has been posting historical races. Uh, Fox just did it with Fox Sports 1, the 1986 um, Miller High Life 400 from Richmond, the one where... Um, I believe that's someone Earnhardt and Waltrip got together, but that's the race that Earnhardt, while driving under the yellow, gets out, puts his window net down, gets out holding the wheel like with his legs or feet, and he cleans his windshield off. But you're seeing a lot of classic races now, a lot of people watching that. And and it's amazing because I've been watching lately – I've gone through almost all the Indy 500s from the 80s. If you if you do a search, you'll see it. NTT Indy Car Series, NASCAR is beginning to post like a throwback Thursday moment. And if you do mm-hmm. a, a search on YouTube, you can find anything out there. Yeah, there's there's a a vast and consistently expanding array of classic events, classic moments. And um, yeah, they leave the motorsport enthusiast not wanting for any event that they want to see. So I know for me, a lot of a lot of my big moments are NASCAR events from the, the mid late '90s, uh, early 2000s. That was kind of when I came of age, and when I, I um, some of my fondest racing memories come from. Same um, here. And um, full disclosure, I am a ardent, hardcore, passionate, to this day, uh, fan of Jeremy Mayfield. Uh, He was a a NASCAR racer from uh, the 90s and 2000s and um, had some some really, really, really good years. And um, one of my favorite races to to look back on, and, and he's had a lot of events where he's done really, really well, and then something always jumps up and gets him, uh, be it a mechanical failure or a wreck or just a, a circumstance of strategy. Something happens where uh, the win that you thought that he would get, uh, he didn't end up getting. So there were a lot of those, but one event where he had a dominant car and came away with the win, well, there were a couple of them, but the the first one and probably 
one of the most satisfying was the first Pocono race in 1998. He led 122 <laughs> laps of 200. That was back when they ran 500 miles at Pocono. Yep. It, was, it, it was, was quite the it exercise. It was rain delayed. I watched yep. this. And the reason I watched this is because I'm a Dale Earnhardt fan. I grew up loving the black car. I mean, my dad asked me, what car you like? I said, that one, the black one. And I loved her. I love Earnhardt to this day. But continue, Elliot, and we'll, we'll have a fun discussion about this one. Yep. Um, he, uh, so they, they, were, uh, they started third. They had the fastest car in happy hour. They got to the lead pretty much right away. And they never really relinquished it. And um, this was also the, the season where uh, Jeff Gordon and Mark Martin staged a spirited battle for the championship, especially in the second half of the year. Jeremy, a lot of people don't know this. Uh, Jeremy was uh, led the points for uh, a good period of time leading up to about the halfway point of the season. He, he did. I remember this. Yeah. Yep. Cause he finished what third in Daytona, right? Uh, he finished third at Daytona and then he backed that up with, I think a top 10, I think a seventh or an eighth at Rockingham, uh, which was the following week. Mm -hmm. So once you saw that, that was kind of the, the indicator that, okay, it wasn't just Daytona. This team has speed. They've got it figured out. It was the former 37 car, Kranifus Haas. Um, mm -hmm. Roger Penske came in and bought out Carl Haas's uh, stake in it. So it was Kranifus Penske, and, or uh, Penske Kranifus, excuse me. Yeah. And um, so they had that car figured out. And pretty much every single race that they went to, in 1998, they were a threat to win. Like I said, a lot of them, it was just a, a matter of circumstance or something that a win that they didn't get more wins than they did. But Jeremy did a, a very good job of stringing together a lot of consistent top five and top 10 finishes. And that was why uh, he was kind of writing the, the book for somebody like a Matt Kenseth mm -hmm. five years later to do really well and lead the points, and in Kenseth's case, win the championship with a relatively few number of wins. So that was uh, kind of the, I think for 1998, that was the, the penultimate moment for Jeremy, was having such a dominant car, taking it to Jeff Gordon, the Rainbow Warriors, Ray Evernham, mm -hmm. at the peak of their dominance, and just hold them all at bay and take home his first win and do it in convincing style. Ooh, and, and who did he push aside in that first win? On the well, that last wasn't lap. His, well, no, that wasn't his first win. That was his, uh, that was, that came at this very race two years later in 2000. Okay. Um, it was, so that it was 2009. My mistake. I thought that was the race that um, he took it. He, he took Gernhardt aside. Nope, that was, uh, that was in 2000. That was a, a, another funny one, too, because um, uh, it was kind of, uh, um, I'm not sure if it was known or not at the time, but he and Rusty Wallace, they didn't get along particularly well at that yeah. point in time. Rusty was kind of used to doing his own thing. He wasn't used to having a teammate. Ditto with Dale Earnhardt Sr. and Mike Skinner. Yeah. Um, that particular event... Jeremy didn't have the strongest car. He wasn't, um, he didn't lead 122 he did. laps. He did. Yeah. He, and I, I, yeah, I remember it wasn't strong, but he was there in the end. And I apologize. Cause that was the one I was thinking about was Ray yep. delay. And yep. 
Well, they almost got up. rained out in uh, in '98 as well. That um, yeah. they they had some uh, some rain threatening that day as well. But yeah, 2000 that was a rain delayed race. They ran it on Monday. They had a late caution, and the only reason that Jeremy was up there uh, fighting for the the win when he was he took two tires on the last pit stop along mm-hmm. with seniors. So they were. Uh, they had the track position, and uh, Rusty Wallace was saying that two tires wasn't going to work. He took four and restarted a little bit further back in the field, and he ran out of time. He didn't get the the track position yeah. back, and so he finished further back in the field. I think closer to the he, he had to the top ten. But yeah, uh, Jeremy was giving it all he could, and it didn't look like he was going to get to senior. But like he, he had did. too strong a car. He got him in three and moved him. classic Earnhardt move and you know I you know I was upset that Earnhardt didn't win that day but I earned a lot of respect for Jeremy that day as well you know I you know I was like anyone who who raced Earnhardt cleanly like that who who used the bumper who didn't wreck him but just you know kind of did what he did Earnhardt, you know, yeah, Earnhardt would get, you know, everyone would be like, oh, that's Earnhardt, he's going to get mad. You know, he had fun with him at the end, on the, on the you know, victory lap, but yep. at the end, they were good friends, and that's, I mean, that's what Earnhardt was, and, you know, you're talking about 98, well, 98 was big for me, being a Dale Earnhardt fan. Daytona 500, 1998. Yes. 20 years. What happened to Earnhardt in those 20 years? Ran out of fuel, crash, cut a tire, couldn't make that last minute move. You know, it was almost like what happened to Mario Andre after he won Indy in 69 and just couldn't win it. Just to hear Mike Joyce say, 20 years of trying, 20 years of frustration, and Dale Earnhardt's going to win the Daytona 500. I was in a rocking chair watching that in my house, and I almost fell out of the the rocking chair. Yep, I was too, uh, because, you know, that was uh, the beginning of of Jeremy's really breakout year in 98, and uh, he was given, he was fighting with senior at the end for the win and he was giving him everything he could but he just could never get around him and And, um yeah senior held them all off yep and and he and rick mass was the perfect pick at that time but the thing was is it was running to the yellow flag because what people don't know i mean if you haven't seen it there was a wreck on lap 199 and i believe that caution was 9 and 43 so john andretti and car nine that year was um lake Lake speed Speed. yep was late speed they wreck going down and you hear parson say they're wrecking on the backstretch they're wrecking and at that time we didn't have green white and checker either you run to the yellow or you don't you either get the yellow flag and that ends the race we're gonna run well there was no overtime yeah there was no overtime and they were far enough off the the backstretch if you look at that video they were down by the inside wall we didn't know well they threw the yellow it's lap 199 so he took it at the yellow and white so it was 198 the rock cap and they threw it at 199 at that time you had to complete lap 200 Yes, the yellow was out 
but it wasn't official. So if Junior or if Earnhardt ran out of fuel or if he broke down, he would have lost that race. Yep. He had to make one more lap and he did. Yep. And everyone erupted. The crews came out, shook his hand. It took forever. He did his trademark E in the grass. He said, heck with the grass. I'm going to mess this up. Yep. He well, he asked, the, he asked permission. He asked the, the tower if he could do some oh, donuts. Did. And they said, yep, go crazy. And he did. <laughs> and that was amazing. The best is the, have you heard the cigar story out of that? No. Him and Larry, Larry McReynolds, Larry Mack was his crew chief at the time. Earnhardt partied hard. Him and McReynolds, they were partying very hard. Well, they got victory cigars. I guess um, Larry McReynolds knew how to smoke one. I believe this how it went, but Earnhardt didn't. Earnhardt never smoked. He didn't like it. He never did it. And he's, he didn't know how to smoke a cigar right. Well, <laughs> they said at the press conference, Larry McReynolds looks over after he had this and Earnhardt looked green. <laughs> but he was on a moped until like 12 a.m. Oh, he, he enjoyed that. And kudos to him. And sadly, we lost him. You know, everyone thought he was a hard ass. And pardon my language saying mm-hmm. that. Yeah, he was one tough but customer. He was yep. one tough customer, but in the background, he enjoyed it. He liked yep. you guys, and he helped get Gordon. I mean, they, you know, I'm sure with all those guys, he traded paint on Monday, on Sundays, and roughed everyone up. They were all making money during the week because yep. Earnhardt knew how to do the merchandise and got all of them involved with that. Yeah, he was the main person in the garage. And yeah, everybody hated him when they raced against him. But even in the garage and, you know, and certainly outside the garage too, he had a heart of gold. Did a lot of things for a lot of people. And, you know, the sport was uh, definitely not the same after he passed away. You know, the, the 2001 Pepsi 400, though, that's, that's another instant classic you know, for a series that was looking to heal and was still grieving, you know, and that junior event. brought him, brought yep. it home. And after 9-11 too, it was yep. Junior who helped with the grieving by winning those races. Yep. That said, we'd love to reminisce more about our classic races and maybe we will down, down some future episodes the way things are going. But, you know, let us know. We'll be, you know, we're open to anything. We're going we're gonna to take a break. We're going to toss it over to our producer, Ryan. And when we come back, we're going to have the green segment. Let's do it. From Checkered to Green Podcast, we'll be right back. If you want to listen to our podcast, tune in on podcasts.com and iTunes to link and hear our podcast as the episodes are released. Release information you can find on our Facebook page from Checkered to Green Podcast, as well as we welcome all manner of feedback. Please tell us what you liked about our segments, what you think we could improve, as well as future topics you'd like us to talk about. And if we can, what guests you'd like to hear, we'll see what we can do about interviewing on our show. And now we're back to From Checkered to Green with Elliot Tardiff and David Maudie. Thank you, Ryan. And now we're on to the green segment. Normally, we would talk about major events or stories that are coming up in the next week or so. 
since the racing community is on hold, we decided to do something different, Ellie and I, and we want to talk about some of our favorite races that have come up. I know we were mentioning classic races in the last segment. Some of the favorite races that have happened, and Elliot and Brian, feel free to, you know, what are some of you guys' favorite races? I know it was mentioned quite generously in the previous section, but for me, the 1998 Daytona 500 has a special place in my heart. And for no other reason, it was actually the first Daytona 500 race I got to see from beginning to end and finally getting a greater appreciation just for, you know, how intricate a race like that is and how much strategy is involved when it comes to driving one of those cars. And two years later, you find a, uh, you get to meet a friend who, who knew quite a bit about racing. Indeed. I think for me, um, uh, you know, some of my other favorite races and, um, Again, you know, we talked about at the beginning of the episode how much it meant to, you know, see basically the traveling circus come to town, mm -hmm. um, you know, at any of the big venues that were nearby to us. So for me, anytime they came to Loudoun, uh, New Hampshire, or uh, Watkins Glen or Pocono, any of those events, you know, mean, uh, mean a great deal to me. I think another cool one, too, was uh, the season finale in 2011. Uh, at Homestead, the battle between Tony Stewart and Carl Edwards. Oh, that um, was awesome! Yeah, that was that was an amazing race, and that's uh, that's that's another fave as well. You know, some of my favorites actually one this year was I got to check something off my bucket list, and that was to go to the Indy 500. And you know, I'm hoping I go back down the road. I definitely should be a you know a trip for this podcast down the road. We should do maybe. You know, maybe we'll end up broadcasting from there down the road. But um, I went to the 2019 Indy 500 and I got to go um, with my friend John and my dad. You know, my dad went in the 70s. Um, he went 73, 75, 77. He sat in turn one. We sat in turn three this year in the short shoot in the North Vista. And he never got to go see Carb Day. He always just saw the race. It was amazing going for Carb Day. We got to sit on the front stretch right by the start finish line, the yard of bricks, the pagoda, seats you know you would you never, you know, you you essentially have to be willed the tickets. You know, my dad said, you know, he enjoyed quite a bit, but he said, there's nothing like the start. And that is true. I mean, you see the pace car pick up. You see 33 guys, 11 rows of three, just come to the line, and you see a pickup, and they come around for that first time. It's amazing, and it was a great race. I mean, Simon Paginot won it. It was, a, it was a really great race, and, you know, that was one of my favorites to be in person to. Um, you know, some of the other races I liked, especially from the NASCAR standpoint, 98 was great. The last Daytona 500 that Dale Jr. won, where he had the bond, the duct tape, the bondo on his grill, for the final few laps, that was a great race. You know, I, I also think of some of the local races I've been to. The one, one of the local races I've been to was, um, and I don't know if you remember this, Elliot, was um, when you and I were in Oswego, we went to Spencer Speedway up in Williamson, New York, the week before the Race of Champions that you and I did for the show in 2004. Yep. Do you remember 
what happened at the end of that modified race between Tony Hambury, uh, Buck Catalano, and Patsy Catalano, and with it being championship night? Yeah, they were fighting for the championship that night. And uh, if I remember right, I think Catalano, he was... Uh, Buck. Buck Catalano, yeah. He was he was uh, trying to get there, but it uh, didn't look like he was going to. And I, if I remember right, I think he just flat took out uh, Hambury in turn one. And uh, that led to uh, quite the scrum in the garage afterwards. We saw a lot of people running here, there, and everywhere. And uh, eventually there were a couple of cop cars that... Oh. Uh, Oh yeah, in there. <laughs> you saw you. So how that how that played down was final lap. It was championship night, and it came down to Buck Carolano and his son Patsy Carolano. Yeah, you're right. He flat out took him. He used the chrome horn on him and won. And Patsy timed it right and went around both of them. But yeah, you see the running in the garage. And, Next thing I turn around, I tap Ellie on the shoulder, and there's a New York State trooper pulling up. But yeah, that was, I mean, that was that was a fun race. And, you know, even, I mean, it doesn't have, I mean, you're right, Ellie, it doesn't, you know, we talked about in the beginning, the circus coming to town, and even the local tracks. I mean, some of the races that we've gone to, I always loved going to Niagara Falls when they ran the indoor TQ midget series in the winter. That was fun. Um, Oswego, I, I've seen some great races in at Oswego Speedway. Mm-hmm. Um, quite a bit. I mean, you and I both saw the Zane Ziner leading net all, you know, all but five laps in the um, ROC sportsman race in 04. Yep. And then uh, Eric Beers, uh, he had a, a decisive win in the, uh, the, the classic uh, that weekend as well. Yeah. In, in the, yeah. In the ROC two, which was a 200 lapper back then. Um, yep. Hasefeld couldn't get him. He timed the pit stop right and had fresher tires and, yeah, that that was amazing. Um, yep. You know, what other some what what other favorite races like local have you seen? Pretty much any one that I went to at Stafford, and there were a lot of them. Anytime the Featherlight Modifieds, uh, the the old Featherlight Modified series back in the day. Um, Did you see the Spring Sizzlers? Uh, I went to a couple of them. Uh, so I actually. Um, uh, worked for the um, or interned at the at the track uh, for a few years, and so in a from a fan standpoint, I never had the opportunity to go to a, um, a, an actual sizzler or even a fall final. When I was uh, was interning for them, I had the the pleasure of being at um, at one of each, and uh, that was a lot of fun as well. Wow. But yeah, anytime the Featherlights were there, um, you know, Ted Christopher, uh, God rest his soul, he was um, mm-hmm. he was an absolute master of the the Featherlights, uh, especially at Stafford. Nobody could really do anything with him. You know, Mike Stefanik, that was yeah. uh, the uh, the another one. Uh, you know, sadly uh, passed away recently. Yeah. Um, he was a master of of uh, you know the modifieds, uh, the old Bush North series. Uh, oh, that yeah. was when uh, Martin Truex Jr. was uh, cutting his teeth. Uh, up there actually saw him win uh one of the uh uh the bush north events i think it was 150 lapper at stafford he had uh they were running the old 56 car uh the uh truex uh, i think it was a a, a family-owned uh, operation and uh they had that place figured out they had a lot of the bush north series figured out at the time and and uh you know we've seen what he's he's gone and done since but 
Um, yeah. But yeah, those are those are some of my favorite uh, memories of, of Stafford in particular. I saw the Bush North many times go to Holland Speedway in Holland, New York. No, that that was neat because you know, and I don't. It, it, this happened quite a bit here with ours, but some of the local guys would try to race with them. Um, I know Steve Hoddick and I think Vern Bliss tried to run with them. I believe uh, some guys out Holland. Did you get to? Did any of the local guys try to run with the Bush North guys when they come? Yeah, they had some uh, some some privateer efforts that uh, you know they put together a Bush North car and and would run with them, or they put together a Featherlight modified car and 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 run as well. Names uh, don't come to me off off top. No. What What about you, Ryan? Some of the local. I mean, you and I are both from the Buffalo area, so I've seen a couple of the locals running up at. Holland Speedway, I'm familiar with them because they run the uh, circle track at Lancaster Speedway. It's not something that occurs every year, sadly. It'd be nice to see more of the locals get a chance to step up and prove that there are no slouches in these ranks. But I also see a lot of the uh, uh, drag racing as well. That's something that's a bit more my speed. And unfortunately, Lancaster Speedway being only an eighth of a mile track, you only get the IHRA instead of the NHRA here, except for the occasional exhibition. And last year, uh, he wasn't racing. He was just up there showing off his car was uh, John Force. If you know NHRA, John Force is pretty much synonymous with that setup. He's the winningest NHRA driver in history, 16-time funny car champion. Getting to shake his hand was almost indescribable for an nhra fan it's like it's like holy crap i'm shaking hands with the great this is yep. this is wow. an experience here that's cool dude that's awesome now yep. i i will tell you this um so i i did go to watkins Glen the one year uh, the year ambrose won his first event I got the tickets, and that's when um, Mean Famous People, the IMSA guys, were running. That's when Patrick Dempsey was running sports cars, if you remember this. Mm-hmm. He had his own team, and he was there. Well, my, my wonderful wife, Alyssa, at the time we were um, dating, I had just moved out to Syracuse in, in 2011, and... She was doing banquets her and she went down for a day to help, took two separate cars. Um, she went home afterward, but um, she was helping out with that. You know, she's waiting for me, the car, wondering why I'm not coming back. She's texting me. She's done with her shift. Well, I had gotten the program signed by Patrick Dempsey for her. So that, that made her day and getting to meet him was really cool. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, very down to earth. You know, I, I met a few other race car drivers that week and some of the NASCAR guys. I think out of that, Dempsey was really nice, fan friendly. Um, some of the other guys, I'm not going to name names, just weren't fan friendly. You know, you wish them good luck and, you know, they didn't want to talk, but Patrick Dempsey was really good. You know, he said, yes, how you doing? And wanted to say thanks and all, you know, you know, thank you know, I said, good luck out there and asked them to sign the program. And, you know, very nice. Excellent. Anyone famous besides me, Jeremy, on your end, Elliot? Well, I've had the good fortune of rubbing elbows with, um, you know, a couple of, uh, especially a couple of the uh, well-known broadcast people. Um, 
Got uh, had the pleasure of getting uh, Benny Parsons' autograph when he was still here. Met uh, Mike Massaro a couple times, um, and uh, Alan Bestwick. Um, wow. All very nice people. Alan Bestwick. He's uh, he, uh, if I remember right, he he uh, actually calls the games for the Yukon uh, women's basketball team now for um, Fox Sports New York, I think. Um, really? Yep. And um, really nice guy. Very very focused though. Very uh, um, when there's uh, an event going on. He's uh, all of his attention is is whatever's in front of him, and he's you can you can see him just you know soaking in every single thing that he sees because it's important for him later on. And he's he's very smooth, very polished, and very well spoken as an announcer. And a lot of that I think comes from all of that he studies and that he learns and he prepares for beforehand it really speaks well you know it allows him to, to you know speak so well I think um, on camera so so I've had those those good fortunes in terms of uh, of anybody else that's um, you know particularly famous or what have you I have to I have to think about that one for for another couple of minutes but yeah those those three are ones that uh, that that come to mind off top um, I, that that was really cool I got one. I, I got one more that I met, and you know, sadly we we've lost um this year. He he passed away this year. Sadly, uh, it was John Andretti. Ah, uh, yes. His his son was running um super modifieds at Oswego. He was driving the the number zero, which was t- um, Timmy Snyder's team. Um, if anyone knows Oswego Speedway, uh, Timmy Snyder Super Modified. So he was driving that for so many, you know, a couple different races. I think he was trying for the championship, but we'd come here and there. And so John Andre, his son, Jarrett, was racing. And John was there with them. And Ken signed my program. And I remember this. I was nervous going up to him. You know, he kind of saw me look at He goes, how, you know, hi, how are you? I said, good, how are you? And, you know, handed him the program sign, and that's kind of was it, but you, you watch. And, you know, I watched him interact with fans, you know, throughout. He didn't care who, who you were. He just was that fan-friendly person, like, talking to you, like, you know, you're a long-time acquaintance that, you know, he just received you, or he so it was amazing, um, you know, to meet him. And, you know, it's sad that we did lose him this year to, you know, colon cancer. You know, his legacy lives on to, you know, what you should be as a, a race car driver to be fan friendly. That's what you need to do. And, and it was amazing to meet him. So uh, we'd love to continue talking about our favorite races. And, you know, as you listen to this podcast, you know, let us know what some of your favorite races were. If you've met somebody famous, let us know. You know, share your thoughts with us. You know, kind of talking about the classic racing, reminiscing, is going to help us get through this, through these difficult times. And sometimes it's just good to share those good feeling stories and, you know, people we met our things that we've seen so with that said how about we run a a, go into final thoughts yep uh sounds good to me um so final thoughts are um you know first uh it's um it's good to uh have finally recorded our first episode i know we've spent a long time planning and preparing and and uh and writing and you know bringing all of this to finally to bear now and and uh uh, have an episode to uh, to show for it is very cool. I'm looking forward to do uh, many more of these. 
all of the sim racing, all of the uh, the virtual work that's going on right now to keep fans interacted and uh, you know keep the keep their attention. It's it's something really special. Uh, we were you know you were talking before Dave about all of the other um, you know stick and ball sports that um, also are on hiatus right, right now. And you know sim racing is it's a a very unique way for motorsports to, you know, kind of carry on in a virtual realm and also interact with the fans in a, um, in a really cool way as well. You know, my final thought, you know, uh, stepping out of this episode is um, uh, it's a, a business concept that I heard from the famous uh, bar rescue personality, John Taffer. And uh, he's, um, you know, been heavily involved in, uh, in particular, the, the restaurant and bar industry for a number of years. One of the things that he talks about that I think kind of transcends all business, no matter what it is, reaction management. That's a term that uh, that he came up with. And basically, however people react to what it is that you're doing, you know, what your what your business is, you know, what they what they think of what it is that you're doing is the important thing and is the singularly the most important thing that will keep your business healthy, thriving, and growing going forward. And so when I see all of the work that's happening on the sim racing side and all the time that the uh, the drivers and uh, other famous personalities within the motorsports community are putting into uh, sim racing and continuing to interact with fans there and on social media, I see very good reaction management. And I really hope that translates into attendance and ratings once we do get all of the uh, the series going again. Most certainly. And now for my final thoughts, you know, I, I'm really glad we, we, we did jump into this and, and do a, a different type of podcast that, you know, may not be normal for what racing fans, you know, are, are used to. And, you know, I want to thank you, Elliot. You know, we've been collaborating with this for over a year. And Ryan, you know, you know, we appreciate you helping out producing our show. And, you know, I also just want to thank a, a couple other things. You know, the fans that we have on our Facebook page who are getting interested in wanting to hear this. And we hope to grow with this. I also want to thank AJ Saylor. You know, he's our, he's Samurai Graphics, you know, eventually we're going to have a logo for our podcast. He's going to create it, Samurai Graphics will, and, you know, he's one of our sponsors. You know, in these tough times, you know, we got to help each other out. Um, you know, small businesses, everything. And Tony Stewart Nation shared this quote that I'm on, on Facebook. This um, Sanhita Barua said, and it's life is at times tough and we all need to do. And all we need to do is prove that we are tougher than that. And I think we will we will have to be tough through this. And with some racing, with everything going on, I think we're starting to see that. You got to think of that from a business standpoint that you got to be tough in these times. And it may stink, but from a business standpoint, it's not a complete loss. You can rebuild. You can do it. Teams have done it before. Organizations have done it before. You know, we did it with 9-11. We did it with World Wars. And we're going to get better with this. And we're going to have auto racing again. For now, let's keep the positive vibes going. And we will definitely have content as we go along. Whether that's guests, whether that's sim racing, whether it's your questions, you know, topic you want us to talk about. 
we'll be happy to talk about anything. Elliot, you want to tell us about the next episode? Yep. So our next episode is going to be two weeks from now. Uh, we're going to try and re uh, record these and release them uh, every couple of weeks. So we're going to have, um, you know, obviously some more developments, you know, with whatever happens with, uh, with COVID-19 and um, impacts on all the different uh, motorsport series seasons. We're going to have a couple more weeks of, uh, of sim racing, virtual racing, and uh, any news that comes out of there. And uh, who knows, we might, might even have a uh, featured guest as well. So uh, working on that, and uh, we'll, um, we'll let you know. Definitely uh, keep up on our social media, our Facebook page, and uh, check in with us via email as well. We'll uh, look forward to seeing you in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening to the Checkered to Green podcast. For more information, check out our Facebook group, Checkered to Green podcast. Tune in next time for more insight into the racing business with the Checkered to Green podcast. Yeah.